Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Players are talking about it. We heard Woj earlier today on our show say that the league is very concerned about it, so it is a topic. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, hour number four. Bob Shoes and Dan Graziano sitting in for the guys, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. We have not gotten as many calls in as we would like, so let's get a few more in now at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We'll start off this hour with Robert in Chicago. He wants to chime in on this, and he is on KJZ on ESPN Radio, ESPN News. Hey, Robert. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey. Happy Memorial Day. You as well. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me, unless things have changed, uh, perceived freedoms from fans doesn't make it the law. In fact, read the back of the ticket. From my knowledge, on the back of the ticket, it simply states, as a fan, you can yell, scream, do, you know, all of those little activities in the stand. You can't throw anything. You can't do anything to, you know, injure anybody. Uh, and it also states these are the prohibited things that are, you know, that if you do them, you can be ejected from the game, and it is punishable by the full extent of the law. So the league needs to do that. You know, you can't throw anything on the ice, the field, the court, anything. It says it on the back of the ticket. At a baseball game, if you're going after a, a foul ball, you can reach as far as you can. But the minute your foot touches that ground, you're out of there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So, But I, I think what we're doing is we're, we're bringing it to light. The players are bringing it to light. The league should be public, I think, about the consequences and what the punishments are because the fact of the matter is people don't read the back of the ticket, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, now we have electronic tickets. Nobody's reading anything. So I, I think it's very important for this to be underlined. I, I think you're right. The vast majority of people who go to a sporting event know all of this, but and I don't think that the reason this is happening is because people don't know it, but I do think that it's important to be public about it and to talk about it so that people are reminded. And if if, if one person has the bottle in his hand and decides not to throw it because he doesn't want to be kicked out of the, of the rest of his life in, in the NBA, then good. Then that, 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 then I think, you know, we've done the job we're trying to do here. The league has done the job it's trying to do by being public about it. The players have done the job they're trying to do by bringing it to light. Yep. James at Pensacola joins us next here on KJZ ESPN radio ESPN news. James, what's happening? Hi guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I just had two points actually uh, about the water bottle thing or about the um, spitting thing, it's just absurd to me because in this day and age in COVID, if I were sitting there in front of them, not even yeah. speak about Trey Young, which I'll boo against because I'm an OSU fan, but for somebody to spit across four people in front, and I, if I were sitting there with my immunocompromised, I would be more than furious. And the second point is with the water bottle, I'm sorry. I'm going to call the last guy Big D instead of Big Z because he's big dumb about that because – what are they going to start doing? Just like handing you a list of acceptable things to throw at, yeah. you know, people. And the very last thing I'd like to say is shout out to my boy Seth at University of West Florida for getting all American in tennis, baby. All right. Good. Oh. Good shout out. Appreciate it. Hey, look, there's no question that, you know, you're taking the argument to a totally different kind of dumb when you start talking about what kind of damage something could do to a player. If it, you know, if a water bottle's empty or popcorn, 
you don't throw anything at a player. I mean, like that should be the baseline where we the jumping off point for all of this. You you throw a feather at a player. You're still throwing <laughs> something at someone, and that water bottle. I mean, if this is also, I think, a way to look at it as a fan. Let's say that water bottle misses Kyrie Irving and hits my kid. You know, like you're endangering everyone, not even just Kyrie Irving, when you act the way that that guy acted. So I agree with that. And I think the players now feel more emboldened, and rightfully so, to stand up for themselves and not just look at this as the cost of doing business. Right? I think there was an era not even that long ago where you'd hear players, we'd talk to them in locker rooms, talk to them on the plane afterwards. Oh, my God, do you believe they threw batteries at us mm-hmm. in the third quarter or whatever? And you'd, you'd say, well, what? yeah, you know, that happens here. You know, that, that's what they do here. Now they're getting to a point where they just don't accept that that's what happens here. And I think that's a good thing. Stop this, regardless of where it's happening or what's being thrown. On a number of fronts, and we've seen this play out over the past couple of years, this generation of athletes understands the power of their, of their voice, of their opinion, of their words, and they're not afraid to exercise it. Yep. On the court, by the way, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. They combined for 104 points, tied for the most by a trio in a playoff game in NBA history. Yeah, who's stopping that? Stats incredible as this, brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. See, I think they are fascinating. Yeah. Because so many of the analytics of guys not playing enough games together, yep. where they rank defensively, mm-hmm. all of those, that the fact that we can go back to, like, to the run, you know, TMC teams with Don Nelson, the idea that you are just trying to flat out outscore the other team to win an NBA championship, we've always been, hey, defense wins championships. you got to have chemistry. you got to play together. You have to make sure that you are mm-hmm. you know, taking care of, of business on both ends of the floor. All of that, this team might win an NBA title yeah. and tell all of us, all of those metrics, stuff it. We can just go out and flat out outscore you and win. I, what amazes me is I can't imagine a team scoring this many points and seeming to enjoy it less. Like, I, I don't understand the Nets. Like, the, the, it's a completely joyless exercise. Like, I don't, who, who's – they're going to win a title, and it'll be like, you know, as businesslike as it ever was. They'll go their separate ways. I, I, I feel like I'm watching the Nets last night, and I had two concurrent thoughts. One was, I don't think anybody can stop this, but somebody has to because, because there's no way we can watch this team just dominate clinically – uh, I mean, it's not – I don't know. There's something about the team that just doesn't – it doesn't, doesn't click emotionally. Well, they're a bit, much bigger story elsewhere than yeah. they are here in New York. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. Because the Knicks obviously dominate, number one. Number two, do you feel like the whole country is kind of bonding together to root against this? Is there no portion of America that's just appreciating how good KD, Kyrie, and, and Harden yeah, are I together? I don't know. I, I think it's going to get to the point where they're the, they're the bad guy, where they're the villain, because I think they're – they're, they're not. They don't score very high on the on the likability meter, right? Like it's not. You know, like Harden's kind of forced his way out of of Houston yep. by kind of loafing, right? Like I mean, like there's just kind of something about it that just doesn't. Again, you don't you don't feel the. I don't know how to put it. I, I, I get joy is really the word, right? Like you you want to see that in sports. You don't feel like you're. I mean, you're watching Trey Young play, and and yes, he's he's antagonistic and he you know but he's he's obviously enjoying himself right like that's and I think there's a lot 
when you when you see the Nets, it just looks like it's it's formulaic. But I want it's this, awesome. If but, if they turn out to be a villain, I want this back in the NBA. The villain, like the thing? NBA that we grew up on. There were villain teams. There were villain players. Like Trey Young. Yeah. In one game, brought back to the Garden. What hasn't been there since Reggie Miller? Yeah, that's and true. it's awesome. Everybody, yeah. Now you, it's not awesome when some jerk spits on him. Like that's know. the lowest common denominator. And also, you know, the chant, I'm not a big fan of the no, completely uncreative chant, be creative with your chant. Having said that, though, like, I think the NBA needs more villains and rivalries and that kind of fun, because I think back in the 90s, there were people that could care less who won yeah. a Pacers-Knicks game, but wanted to see Reggie Miller like at the, the Garden for that. But that's the problem. When I look at the Nets, I don't worry about them becoming villains. I worry about them being robots. And, and that, I think, is what, that, that, I think, is what's worrisome about them. So I think people, people can root against them because uh, it just seemed like they threw this together. As this is an arrangement and, 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 and whatever. And they're just checking boxes. But I don't think they're going to stir emotion like Trey Young is doing at Madison Square Garden and Reggie Miller used to. All right. We got a little A to Z for you now here on right. KJZ, ESPN Radio, ESPN News, Sirius XM. Channel 80, your smart speakers. We'll get back to the phones at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. With Bob Oshusen, Dan Graziano, in for the guys. It is KJZ, and we're going to start uh, A to Z with something that you, back in a former chapter of your life, uh, very familiar with, and that is the Yankees. The Yankees right now are struggling. 6-2, they lose to the Tigers and get swept by quite possibly the worst team in baseball. The first time the Yankees were swept in Detroit since 2000. They've lost five of six. They've scored two runs or fewer in 20 of 53 games this season. Outscored 15 to five with 36 strikeouts against Detroit. Runners in scoring position, they went one for 25 Mm. in the series, which led Aaron Boone, the manager, to be asked if this roster is good enough. It's absolutely good. I mean, we had a bad weekend. Let's as pissed off as I am, and as we should be by the way we played. It's a bad weekend. We need to turn the page. We have an important homestand coming up against some really good opponents. And yes, you're absolutely good enough. And we need to figure it out and find a way to play cleaner baseball more consistently because we're about to go up against some really good teams. And um, but I'm also you know, as frustrated as I am, I'm not going to let a, a bad weekend cloud what I know this team's capable of. What do you think? Well, I've been out of it for a while, right? Like when, when I when I covered the Yankees, like I covered Aaron Boone the, the night he hit the pennant-winning home run, right? Like these were the Joe Torre, Derek Jeter, you know, the, the Paul O'Neill, like those teams, Bernie Williams, those teams. They were always good enough, and they always knew it, even when they didn't look it for weeks at a time. Uh, the baseball season is a billion years long. There, there's time to recover. I think the year the Nationals won the World Series a couple of years ago, they had the worst record on, on June 1st, which, again, is tomorrow. Um, but the main thing I learned covering the Yankees is if they think the roster's not good enough, they will change that. Yes, that July. is true. I agree 100%. Here, what I think is a larger theme with the Yankees, because I do agree that when you've got LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Aaron mm-hmm. Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Gio Shellos become like a legit, you know, offensive yeah. threat. Um, even Gary Sanchez. There's, there's too many guys that can do damage with their bats to think the whole season yes. they're going to struggle. The red. That's ridiculous. They obviously are going to at some point hit. The question I have, and I think the exact 
theme that you bring up when you cover the Yankees is, like, when I watched Moneyball, and there's that famous scene where you've got, you know, Brad Pitt sitting there with Jonah Hill and all the dinosaurs around the table, and mm-hmm. all they're talking about is on-base percentage. We need guys that can get on-base and score a run. On-base, score a run. All these damaged goods, so-called, we're going to find guys and get mm-hmm. on-base and score a run. The Yankees that were the dynasty of the late mm-hmm. 90s, nobody hit 40 home runs. No. Nobody hit 30 home runs. No. They were basically built around get the ball in play, put pressure on the yeah. other team, and... Don't make outs. And don't make outs. Yeah. And... This team now, the analytics seems to say, just try and you know either swing for the fences and strike out or hit a home run, and we'll hit enough of them to be in the playoffs. But how many years do they have to get to the playoffs and fail yeah. before they change that formula? Yeah, Tori used to have a, uh, a story about that. You got a letter from the commissioner's office once that concerned about how many walks they were taking, like like as if it was. And he was like, "What am I supposed to do? Tell my guys to swing and pitches out of the strike zone?" Like, right. like they were wired for that era. And and I mean, I, the current baseball era is based on stats that, again, I'm, I've been out of it, right? So, uh, but I think that this Yankee team, you know, I, I cover Yankee teams that won every year. This one hasn't, so they got to figure it out. All right, well, an interesting story we're going to get to in a second after we tell you that this MLB weekend recap brought to you by Credit Karma. Visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account. Start winning instant karma. Credit Karma money progress starts here. All right, here's one. Naomi Osaka, who was fined $15,000 because she spoke in an on-court interview at the French Open but skipped her mandatory news conference following a first-round win. And apparently she has been told, not only by the French Open, but all four Grand Slam tournaments, if you don't do what you need to do media-wise, you'll face stiffer penalties, including being defaulted if she continues to avoid meeting with the media. She's number two in the world, vowed in a tweet last week she would not be taking part in news conferences at the French. And I think we've got Pam Shriver, who is an ESPN tennis analyst, of course, for us to join us, and, and Pam, it's Bob Shoes and Dan Graziano. First of all, thanks a lot for the time. And, and second of all, what do you think about this situation? Is this being treated appropriately by Naomi Osaka and the Grand Slams? Um, well, from my position in Los Angeles, I would say neither have handled it very well. I think that uh, if Naomi Osaka is struggling like many, many of us are, with some mental health issues, and she doesn't want to be triggered in press conferences. By questions, there's other ways to handle it than breaking a rule that's been around a long time, which is press conferences that are mandatory. And I think to not go into a dialogue with uh, the WTA, with the Grand Slams, obviously the timing of it was the week before a major, so it was going to bring the French Open, Roland Garros, right into the forefront, and then yesterday, all four major tennis tournaments, which uh, ESPN, we're a couple of weeks away from broadcasting Wimbledon, and then we also have the U.S. Open and the Australian Open was played earlier. They all got together and made a statement that they would like to have a dialogue. They'd like to try and help Naomi. But meantime, they're going to fine her $15,000. And if she continues to not go to press conferences, and we know there are seven matches in the majors if she plans on getting through the finals, there was a threat in the statement that they might actually default her through the code of conduct, which, as you remember, the code of conduct got in the way of her match against Serena Williams on the other side of the net when Serena had two code of conducts, actually three, which resulted in a mess of a final of a major. So 
it's not the way I don't think the sport should have handled it in such a public way. Um, but here we are, and now we have to figure out how to get out of the mess. Hey, Pam, one of the things I, I've heard from people connected with this is a, a suspicion that maybe if it was, um, I don't know, uh, one of the more established male stars in, in, the, in the game, that it might have been handled differently. Do you agree with that? And is there any precedent for this that you can look back on and say that, that, the, that tennis handled it differently than they're handling it with Naomi? Well, I don't recall ever a player... Uh, making a, a formal statement um, saying in advance of a tournament that they would not go to press. There are certainly times, like Novak Djokovic, when he had what happened at the U.S. Open, when he hit the ball, it, he didn't mean to have it go right to a lines lady's throat, but it did. He was defaulted, and he made a statement through his platform, his uh, social media platform later on, but he did not go to the go to the press conference that day. That broke the rule. He took the fine. But that's totally different. Um, Venus Williams, at times, um, has skipped going to press conferences, just walked out after, you know, just didn't do it and took the fine. But never in this sort of premeditative, I'm not going to go to any of the post-match uh, press conferences all tournament long. That's that's never happened. Um so in that now the sport, I feel like by going public with their statement yesterday, they've sort of thrown down this gauntlet. Like, are they really? If, if Osaka continues to not go, are they are they really going to give her? Uh, okay, the fines are fine, but are they really going to threaten to uh, default her from the tournament? That, that to me seems like they're going to dig themselves too. That that would be ridiculous. Um, that's not how our sport wants to be in the headlines, but. We'll see. We've done some things as a sport before that didn't make a lot of sense, and we'll see if this is another one. ESPN tennis analyst Pam Schreiber with us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Yeah, I mean, one of the points that they made in the statement was that, you know, other people have to fulfill these obligations, and if you feel like you're not going to, that's an unfair to the rest of the competitors. Do you buy that line of thinking? Well, I get what they're saying. They're saying, like, for instance, when Federer does his media, and he's, he's like, been the model citizen, so has, so has Rafa Nadal. Serena's actually been pretty good through almost 24 years of this, um, and she's had to sit through some tough ones, believe me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take that much time. Federer probably takes the longest. He's requested the most. He kind of enjoys it. I mean, quite a, quite a, I, I actually, I found it quite fun to, banter uh, with the media afterwards, but it's a whole different arena now, isn't it? The questions you get asked. I have a feeling also that the virtual press conferences, like I have three teenagers in, in L.A. County, and they've had a lot of Zooming for school, and a lot of younger people are really uncomfortable with this virtual format. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't... I haven't talked to Naomi about it. I don't know. I'm doing some speculation here. But remember, this is coming off... A, a, almost a year where almost everything is just virtual. And it really loses, I think, a lot of the in-person flavor for what the media conferences are all about, which is you can see the person in person who's asking you the question. Uh, there can be a follow-up, and it, and it it's just feels it's more natural than this virtual format. And, Pam, last one for me. It just seems like this went from zero to 60 in the snap <laughs> of a finger. 
Right, like, yeah. I, I, look, I'm ignorant as to I know the major American league sports, some of the rules. Like, there's no union, right? There's no one representing Naomi Osaka or collectively bargaining with tennis. What the fuck? Like, is fifteen thousand dollars just a number they pick out of thin air and they go from fifteen thousand dollars to we're going to default you from all the majors if you don't go in and meet with the meet? Who makes the rules up, and who well, is representing her on her side to say? Like, let's collectively bargain what the penalties are here because this kind of went from, like, the, you know, a $15,000 fine right to the nuclear option with nothing in the middle. Yeah. Well, it, look, tennis is very fragmented. It's one of the things that really hurts it. It doesn't have uh, – I mean, the WTA and the ATP have talked about merging. You've got Novak's group. And that, that's been a big uh, loud noise that the men are trying to form – uh, a better voice for themselves so that it's not run. They feel like more of the powers with the tournaments and the Grand Slams, and are they getting the right revenue share? So all these things are... It's, it, 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 the sport is so good in so many ways. It's healthy. It's grown during the pandemic. Uh, people are watching. They, they, we've got more superstars making history. And yet the way we govern ourselves, the way we run ourselves as a business is really horrendous. It would be like on the model of a business school how not to run a business. And the fact that we haven't had strong enough leaders to sort of make it happen in the 45 years I've been around has been really disappointing. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't think they're going to end up doing the worst thing they could do, which would be to default Naomi Osaka from Roland Garros. I think somehow there's going to be some conversations going on with eight, you know, with Stuart, her agent, and uh, the officials. And I think they're going to work their way through this. It's just really uncomfortable right now. And the people I, I, I feel for are actually the people. I mean, written press has really had, it's been a rotten time for them. Most of them haven't been able to actually see a tennis player in person during this time. I mean, it's been really difficult. So there's frustration on all sides. But defaulting Naomi Osaka from the French Open is not going to solve the problem. Pam, that's great perspective. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for calling. That is Pam Shriver, ESPN tennis analyst. An interesting story. And it's kind of the larger argument or, you know, theme of what, what, like star athletes, what responsibility do they bear to the public and their fans to get questions answered? The media is the conduit between the star athlete and the people paying the ticket prices to make that athlete a star. It was once early on in my sports writing career, I heard a great way to put it, which is these guys aren't making, guys and gals in this case, aren't making all this money to play the sport. They're making all this money to play the sport in public, right? And so, like, that's, that's the trade-off. There's plenty of places you can go play tennis and you never have to talk to the media, but it doesn't pay. So that's to be a professional athlete to me. And again, this is just broad strokes. I mean, her specific case, the issues there, I I don't admit to knowing all of it, but broad strokes, professional athlete, it seems like this is part of the, the contract, so to speak, that you enter into when you become a professional athlete. But this also gets to the issue we brought up a couple times during this show, which is uh, this generation of athletes wanting to take control of their own messaging. That's Dan Graziano. I'm Bob Wachusen. In for Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin, KJZ here on ESPN Radio, ESPN News. We'll get back to the NBA in a sec. How concerned are the Lakers that AD's status is unclear for Game 5? Where are they on the panic meter? We're going to go to L.A. We're going to talk to Alan Sliwa, one of our Lakers uh, hosts out in ESPN 710, one of our guys out there. So we will definitely gauge the panic 
of Laker fans after we tell you about Goodyear. Goodyear knows when the season starts heating up, so do the possibilities. Playoff hopefuls are beginning to emerge. Contenders are solidifying their position. From here on out, every game is a chance to create momentum, to make the right pass, the right move, to hit the perfect shot. It takes momentum to build up to the moment, but it takes everything to capture it. Goodyear, more driven. A lot more to do when we come back on ESPN Radio, ESPN News. Give the Phoenix Suns the credit that they deserve. They won this basketball game, and I'm not so sure it would be any different if Anthony Davis was healthy the way that this game started. It's about a Phoenix Suns victory today. Final score, Suns 100, Lakers 92. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. It is KJZ, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, Bob Oshusen, Dan Graziano, sitting in on this Memorial Day. And, boy, it's amazing how much the entire city of Los Angeles has flipped in terms of the expectations for the Lakers and the Clippers based on what we've seen the last 48 hours. And Alan Sliwa, who hosts Laker Talk on ESPN 710 LA, also hosts the pre- and post-game shows on the same station, and Travis and Sliwa weekdays, 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time. So he is all over the L.A. airwaves on this Lakers team. Alan, thanks a lot for joining us. We do appreciate it. No, of course. Appreciate you having me on, Bob. Um, is it just as simple as Anthony Davis is healthy and can play and can produce? Lakers in good shape. He can't. They lose the series. Like, is it is it that clear of a line in the sand? Where do you stand on this and, and how much panic there should be for Laker fans over whether or not Anthony Davis can can play moving forward? Well, it's a, you know, it's, it's a weird 24 hours because I think most Laker fans are walking in yesterday thinking, OK, hey, go three games to one. This Denver-Portland series might be extended. This could be a seven-game series. So, Lakers, maybe you get some rest there before round two. 
then obviously everything changes um, when AD doesn't come back, doesn't play in the second half. I, I don't know if it's as cut and dry as if AD is good to go, Lakers win the series. If he's not, then they lose. Um, I heard LeBron post game, and you guys probably had a chance to hear it as well. Just about, oh, well, if he's got to put more on his shoulders, he he will. Listen, I, I think the Lakers can still hang with the Suns if AD is not a hundred percent, but everybody has to play. So you know they have this luxury right now. If if Anthony Davis and LeBron James have good games, then you're not paying as much attention to Dennis Schroeder and Kuzma and Andre Drummond go down the list. But obviously, if Anthony Davis, uh, if he can't go or he's not a hundred percent then your margin of error is so thin. Um, It's going to be an interesting couple of days, especially because Phoenix gets two of the final three in Phoenix. So we'll we'll see how things play out. But I I think the Lakers still, you know, would still have a shot. But let's just put it this way. If AD's not healthy for the remainder of the playoffs, then uh, your chances of going back-to-back are obviously drastically decreased. I mean, that's the big thing, right, Alan? I mean, this isn't a team that had its sights set on winning the first round and then bowing out gracefully. Like, they're trying to win the whole thing. And if even if Anthony Davis can come back and play, can they survive if it's kind of like this the whole way where he's in sometimes and out sometimes and you can't really ever be sure? It's such a weird season because every time you feel like the engine starts moving for the Lakers, like just when they start, this has been the case, not just over the course of, you know, the last couple of days, the entire season, every time things start going the Lakers way, momentum starts picking up. You feel like they're starting to go downhill. Something happens. AD on Valentine's day uh, had the calf strain against the Denver Nuggets. He was out for over 30 games. LeBron versus the Atlanta Hawks and, I want to say uh, maybe the early part of March or something, he goes out, he misses 20-plus games. So this has kind of been the theme of the Lakers. And and you're right, overall, if they make it to the Western Conference Finals, nobody's going to sit back and say, oh, what a great season. It's either you won championship number 18 or you didn't. So to kind of look at it from a big-picture perspective, if they just get past Phoenix, and this is going to be an incredible challenge because of the scenario in front of them, but if they just got past Phoenix – they get Denver or Portland in the second round, and no disrespect to either one of those teams, but uh, I don't think the Lakers have to be 100% healthy to win a seven-game set against them. It's really by the time you get to the Western Conference Finals and you're playing Utah or the Clippers that you would think, okay, everybody's got to be there. You know, thinking about this team from afar, I mean, I watch them often, but I'm not immersed in it the way you are. I would think that when Anthony Davis, if this had happened last year, Maybe a Laker fan would be like, hey, you know what? We're okay because we've got Kyle Kuzma. We've got Montrez Harrell. Like, we've got – I thought when they got Anthony Davis that Kyle Kuzma, LeBron, and AD was a really good big three. It seems to me like Kyle Kuzma just is invisible at times. Montrez Harrell couldn't get off the bench yesterday until the fourth quarter. Where are some of what I would perceive from afar to be the most important secondary pieces for this team now that AD is hurt? Can those guys – you know, maybe have a, a a rebirth in the playoffs off of a season where they kind of disappeared. It, it's it's interesting because sometimes you look at some of these Lakers role players and you say to yourself, like you, like you're mentioning right now, the the Kyle Kuzma portion of things. I mean, Kuzma um, for most of this series has been he had a game where he had ten rebounds, but he struggled from the field. Um, he, he's kind of been a you know a non-factor. Montrezl Harrell can't get off the bench like you were talking about. I, I think these Laker players, you could look at it two ways. One way you could say, 
wow, they have really, really accepted their role of we're role players. However, we can help win a championship. We're going to tr- help try and win a championship. It's actually a question I asked Kuzma a couple of days ago about, you know, do you sometimes feel like you're being too unselfish, like you're passing up good shots because you just are, you just have this mindset of, I'll do anything for the team to help win a championship. It's one thing to kind of look at it from that perspective. I think the other way to look at it is when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are both on the floor, they know what their roles are. When one of those guys are out, now the question is, okay, Dennis Schroeder, you got to get 20. Uh, Andre Drummond, you got to be in double digits on points. Kuzma, like you referenced, you got to take 10-plus shots. I think they have the capability of doing it, but I think it's it's only sustainable to an extent, right? Like, if they were able to come through for the remainder of this series, you would think to yourself, wow, that was that was amazing. You know, it, the series won seven. But is it is it sustainable for longer than that? I don't think it's going to be sustainable on a consistent basis because, frankly, none of these guys have given you the idea that they can be consistent over the course of 72 games in a playoff run. So if, if the worst-case scenario happens and they lose this series – what happens after that? What's the off season and the near term future like for this team? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy because when I hear you say that, it kind of dawns on me like, wow, that can actually happen, right? Like that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, it. What? Well, Thirty six hours it, ago, that, we never would have thought that, that this could happen. Been, that has not been, I guess you could say, the mindset of the yeah. conversation. So, what I think happens in the off season is this: um, Dennis Schroeder, I think, will test the free agency market. Montrez Harrell has an opportunity to opt out of his contract. Uh, Andre Drummond, obviously, he was just for the remainder. This was the final year of his contract. You have players that are there that, um, you know, can be impactful that are going to get opportunities to, you know, potentially go play with other teams. I think your core is there, LeBron and Anthony Davis. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers, you know, kind of learning from this season, understand that they got to go make some moves, maybe – they need to be even a little bit more top-heavy, and that can't just be, um, you know, so dependent, I guess you could say, there's LeBron, there's Anthony Davis, but if AD has some bumps and bruises throughout the season, they are a completely different team. They're a seven seed, and everybody knows they're a seven seed because of injuries, not because of talent, but I think that's something that will probably be addressed. So we'll see how see how things play out, but there's going to be a lot of question marks with the Lakers, but I think the you know the, the big part is, LeBron and AD are still there. If those two are still there, then you, you, you have a legitimate chance to win a championship any year. Well, Alan, whether it's good news or bad news for Laker fans, the good news is for you. You're going to have something to talk about, right? Because no matter which way this script goes, it's going to be fascinating. Whether, like you said, we've got a, a, a crazy flip of the script where the Suns win the series and now we're head-scratching about the Lakers or LeBron and the supporting cast, even without AD, pull it out of the fire. Um, this is this is this is gonna be fascinating, and we'll be tuning in. Thanks for the time. Well, we appreciate it as well. Thank you very much, all right, guys. Yeah, that's Alan Sliwa, and he hosts Laker Talk pre and post game shows on ESPN seven ten in L A. And uh, you know, if you want to bring up the Lakers, you absolutely can. If you want to bring anything else up, you absolutely can. It's Bob Shoes and Dan Graziano in for the guys on KJZ. You know the drill. It is caller roulette. Caller Roulette next. So you can get on the line at triple eight, say ESPN, triple eight seven two nine three seven seven six. We spin the wheel on KJZ, ESPN Radio, and ESPN News. It's time for Caller Roulette. You know the rules. Don't ask us how we are. We're good. I don't want to hear any of that. Get in, say your name, and make your point and ask the question. 888 729 3776. 888 say ESPN. And don't mess it up. Don't 
mess it up. Especially you, Line 5. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. That scares me a little bit. A little bit. Caller Roulette, Bob Shoes, and Dan Graziano sitting in for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. It is time to spin the wheel. We have no idea who's out there, what they're calling about, what they want to talk about. We don't know what your name is, but they can talk about anything. I don't know whose idea this was to create this segment. Not mine. Not, but we're about to become victims of it. All right, so let's go. Caller Roulette, spin the wheel. Now, let's see. I think it's going to stop on line three. All right, line three. Who are you, and what do you want to talk about? Do you believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick could have actually been a franchise quarterback given the right opportunity, or does he just have the name of a journeyman at this point, and it's just going to always travel around? Never been in a playoffs, right? Like Correct. I think in his entire career, he's been on three winning teams like that, that had a record that winning record for the season i think one that may be his record, but i mean like even just when he was a backup like like okay. so so i mean yeah i don't know like i mean ron rivera has only had three winning seasons as a head coach like there's a lot being assumed about the washington football team this year that the people who are most important to its success haven't really shown so i think they can do it i think the defense is legit fitzpatrick has shown he can play at a high level for Periods of time in yeah. recent years, but you're always going to be worried about the other shoe. In his career, I believe, he was the full-time starting quarterback for one above 500 yeah. team. That was the Jets in 2015. Mm-hmm. They went 10-6. and six. I remember. That season, there were 13 teams in the NFL that were above 500. The other 12 made the playoffs. Yeah. So, and not the Jets. <laughs> it could be just rotten luck. Maybe this is it. 
Here, you know, let me around. ask you this, because I brought this up a few months ago. We were going through the whole Sam Darnold insanity. I always thought that if there was one team out there that totally and completely blew it in terms of whether or not they should have been involved with going after Sam Darnold, it was Washington. I think yeah. they could have gotten him for a reasonable price. And to be yeah. sitting there saying, you know what, we're good. We don't need Sam Darnold. We've got Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick means if you look at the back of his baseball card, he never takes the team that he quarterbacks to the playoffs. Never has. Now, not that Sam Darnold did, but at least Sam Darnold would have a different and I think more talented supporting cast than Washington. Well, I don't we have know. less sample size with Sam. We haven't seen him. Fitzpatrick's been in the league forever, and he's never been to the playoffs. Yep. Is that his fault? I mean, got to be partially, right? In some cases, he's been the quarterback. Yep. Last year's Dolphins were 10-6, and six, didn't make it. So that's, I mean, they were a good team, but yeah, I don't know, man. Well, not a bad start to call a roulette. No. I was more worried about it. All right, let's spin the wheel again. Let's try line six. Line six, call a roulette. You are on KJZ on ESPN Radio. Corey from New York. Fire away, Corey. Um, MB- give me an NBA dark horse team to make it to the championship. And why is Rodgers not a landing spot for the Giants? Well, oh, you want to deal questions. with thanks a lot. You want to deal with number two first. Why would Aaron Rodgers not be a landing spot, or why would the Giants not be a landing spot for Aaron Rodgers? I think if you're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, you have to be sure you're Aaron Rodgers away from the Super Bowl. And I don't think the New York Giants perceive themselves that way. They're still committed to Daniel Jones. They have to find out what they have there. Uh, Gettleman picked him sixth. Like, if, if Daniel Jones doesn't work out, then why should Gettleman still be there, right? So I think he's got a lot riding on Daniel Jones's success. I, I, I'd be surprised if the Giants went in on that. I don't think they're a roster that Aaron Rodgers would just slide in and take them to the Super Bowl in year one. And I think if you're a team trading for Aaron, Ro- Aaron Rodgers, you would have to be you'd have to consider yourself that. And a really, really lame answer to that question as well. Question number one: I don't think there's a dark horse that's a viable NBA Finals candidate. I mean, if I pick anybody but the Nets, I'd pick either the Sixers or the Bucks. but those are two of the top three seeds. I mean, is the Jazz a dark horse? The Jazz were the the number one seed in the Western Conference. So, no, I don't think there's a dark horse. I mean, we talked to Seth about Atlanta and how they're playing. Could they be a factor? He kind of said sort of, but they have to be be two of those teams you just named. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's spin it again. That's why the game's ending. I think we got line five. Yeah. Line five is next. Call a roulette on KJZ. Hey, guys. It's Alan, upstate New York. I'm wondering if you can uh, give me four or five other players in sports that are more exciting than Fernando Tatis Jr. is right now. Ooh, oh, that's man. good. Four or five that are more exciting? I cannot. Exciting. No, he's pretty exciting. I, I, I he's incredibly a, exciting. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like you look at I've been the sport I cover, I mean, Mahomes is super exciting. You know, that, that whole, there's play, other players on that team that you would, you would certainly throw out. Lamar Jackson. But, I mean, are they more exciting? I mean, you know, they, they can be, and it depends what you're, what you're into. I think we're seeing some exciting players in the NBA playoffs right now. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But Tatis is, I mean, what he, he's one of these guys that if you're in line at the concession stand and he comes up, you get out of line and you go watch his at bat. Like that's, you know, like he's that player. In is baseball it right a now. problem for baseball that probably 90% of the fans out there, when they see Tatis, really only see him on highlights? Yeah, but well, they, I, yeah. they, they, it is not like an appoint like with, with Lamar Jackson, yeah. with Steph Curry, with you know, you, I mean, any of these Nets players. Like it's you're actually sitting down and watching the game. 
How many people this year you think are going to sit in front of their television yeah. and watch a Padres game that don't live in San Diego? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's becoming more regionalized. And, I mean, look, you just see the changes that baseball has made the last couple of years. They're obviously concerned about the idea that people aren't going to sit and watch an entire game. And that's why they're trying to do things to speed them up and shorten them and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, baseball's got a lot of concerns right now. But, um, yeah, Fernando Tatis is not one of them. He needs to be on TV more. I think we can spin the wheel at least one more time. Get line one next on Caller Roulette on KJZ. Oh, did we lose line one? Oh, uh, we lost line one. I, so we just wanted, I just want to be able to play right the buzzer. Questions. Once. Yeah. That's it. All right, line two. You have a, maybe the last chance on Caller Roulette. Go ahead. Yeah, this is Jason. Um, this goes back to the parallel you guys drew between the Aaron Rodgers situation and Tom Brady earlier. I do think that the the lack of a Robert Kraft-type presence mm. who had the type of relationship he did with the quarterback in New England but is, a very, is a very key distinction between those two things because it, from everything I hear on radio, it sounds like the general manager is completely entrenched with the team president in Green Bay. So if Aaron Rodgers is disenfranchised with one of them. Right, and it's, it's probably know, set up a Hatfields-McCoy's situation there. Yeah, and the lack of a, of a de- defined sort of singular owner in Green Bay, the publicly owned team, that's been brought up a couple times as a theory for why this was able to get so, so ugly so fast. I'm not sure it holds up, but it's not a terrible idea. It's not a, it's not a terrible read on the situation, that's for sure. I had a blast doing this, by the way. I'm yeah, man, let's do this great. Again. Absolutely. Fun. Yeah, two Flew Jersey by. guys talking about jug handles and pork roll and all that. Yeah, Taylor Long Beach Loved Island, it. all that. Thanks for joining us on KJZ. Enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day.